Hi, Albrecht. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to see you, Callum. And you too. It's uh, yeah, great to, to learn a bit more about the business and kind of um, get to know you a little bit better in the run-up to the, the discussion today. So I'm really excited to talk to you and, and also to obviously dive into the, the topic that we're going to go through today, which is obviously the EU ETS and Ocean Score kind of platform uh, and, and how you help, you help your customers. So um, if you don't mind, why don't you start by introducing yourself um, and kind of a little bit about how you got into the world of shipping uh, and a bit about your background. Sure. So my name is Albrecht Grell. I'm one of two managing directors of OceanScore. Um, my, my life in shipping, I would say, started in 2007, so um, 17 years ago now, when I jo- then joined the then still existing class society Germanischer Lloyd, which later merged with DNV to become DNVGL and now actually is DNV. Um, most of the years in DNVGL, I was serving the shipping community by running their global maritime advisory businesses or advanced engineering and software units. And then later I shifted a bit towards innovation and digital solutions. And from there, the transition to OceanScore is a pretty natural one. Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds fascinating, your background you've got as well in, in M&A, investments and, and projects. So it sounds like you've got quite a varied um route to shipping um i can see that you founded some business as well in the past so how did you f- how did you first hear about shipping really more or less by accident i had worked in consumer goods in my real early history so to say and um, the owner of the company i worked for those days had gotten into shipping i had by then left that in original company but he heard about me leaving what i was doing then and called and said but i would like to join him in germanische lloyd didn't know much about shipping then, but I liked the guy, I liked the idea, I liked the industry. So I said yes, and here I am, 17 years later. Yeah, yeah it kind of, I think once you get into the world of shipping, I guess mainly by the connections you make and the people that you meet and things, you kind of stay in it pretty much. I mean, my, my family have been in it for 60 plus years or so, so you kind of... Uh, yeah, it kind of uh, takes a hold of you, um, which is in a good way. You get to travel a lot, obviously. You meet, yeah, it, it lives off the people. I think you need to be internationally minded, which I am very much. Um, but the diversity of people you meet, the interesting discussions you have around all kinds of topics, the always changing patterns in the way shipping evolves, it's just a hugely interesting industry. Yeah. Um, so I really love being here. Yeah, and it sounds like, we'll get onto it in a moment, but it sounds like you're speaking to quite a diverse range of stakeholders and customers and things. So it'd be interesting to learn about that. Um, but at the moment, obviously, EU ETS is a huge topic uh, and lots and lots of press about it. I've, I've read some really interesting articles you've shared. The latest, I think, was called, I think, the A to, a to Z of, of EU ETS, I think it's called, um, the, a featured article I saw. So if you don't mind, for, for me and for a number of other people, perhaps you could just give a, a quick overview of, of what it is. And obviously, I know it came into place at the start of this year, but your, your overview of what, what the policy is involves. Yeah, I mean, very, very quickly saying, the EU has started a project um, to rid Europe of carbon emissions by 2050. Um, and one of the major parts of that policy is to introduce a cap-and-trade system for carbon emissions, meaning that the EU defines how many carbon emissions are allowed every year. They reduce that number year by year by year, um, and industry has to buy these emission credits, carbon credits, or EUAs, 
um, in order to be able to allow to be allowed to emit carbon. Um, this is called the ETS, the um, Emissions Trading Scheme or Emissions Trading System that the U.S. established, as they want to simply put a price tag on emissions, but rather doing this via not doing this via a tax, but putting a limited number of emission credits into the market, and then the market having to fight for it, sort of so like in a real market, and go prices going up or down. The idea is make emissions more expensive, and make alternatives to emissions, so energy efficiency-related measures or new fuels more viable. That's an old scheme in the market since quite a few years, but shipping has been brought into it as of January 1st, 2024. And does it just, this is going to sound a bit naive, but does it just apply to EU member uh, ship owner nations or if they travel in certain EU regions? What is the, the impact for people from the Far East or the US, does that also apply to, to them? Yes, yeah, the EU has actually done a very good move and it's a very smart way of setting up a regulation like this. It affects everyone trading to European ports. So it doesn't matter who the owner of the vessel is, it doesn't matter who's the manager or what flex the vessel flies, everyone is affected in the same way. And as soon as you start to hit European ports with your vessel, you have to pay for the emissions you cause. Roughly 40% of all carbon credits, so of all emission costs in shipping, will have to be carried by non-European um, ships. And the EU has a, obviously they do, a specific body that is now collecting the payments for those carbon credits and things. Is, is that right? Yeah, it's always there's a very complex set of organizations and authorities behind this. But yeah, that has all been well designed. Um, the carbon credits are emitted by the EU and limited by the EU, but they are collected by the member states. So actually the revenues generated through this scheme largely land in the member states and not in the EU. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Good. Thank you very much. And I guess the, the, the kind of the main stakeholders that are involved, who are they in, if we talk in terms of shipping, who are you mainly speaking to in terms of uh, your customers and, and the people that this will mainly impact? In shipping, it's basically three groups, right? It's the operators, so those who actually sail the vessels like Maersk, like Hapag Lloyd. The EU has said the principle is the emitter pays. So they are running the vessels, they are transporting the cargo, so they have to pay for the emissions. They carry the cost and have to make sure that they can pass it on to the cargo that they transport. That's group number one. Group number two is the owners of the vessels. The EU has said the owners have to finally surrender the carbon credits back to the EU, which means they have as owners to collect these carbon credits from the operators who have to pay based on the EU regulation, which means there's a kind of an invoicing process happening between the owners and the charters of the vessels, which means while the charters carry the cost, the owners carry the risk of this actually not being paid for by the operators, so they have to make sure this all works in their favor. And then the third group is the vessel managers or the ISM companies. They're often kind of in between those two groups. They work on behalf of the owners, and if they are involved, it's the owner's choice, but if the manager is involved, then the manager will run all the related processes, which means he has to deal with all the complexity. And our target group is typically the last two. It's the owners who have the risk 
and the managers who have to um, manage the complexity for the operators while they have to carry the cost life is actually a bit easier okay sorry that makes sense okay so all right so and, and what what role does ocean score have how do you help your customers well the pros actually in calculating how many emissions you have emitted is an old thing in shipping right so that's been done for many years latest since 2018 when the mrv regime was entered into force in europe the measurement reporting and verification of emissions so that is well established um, and done by verifiers by ship shore reporting providers all that and it roughly works like that for ets as well so the, the challenge is not on assessing how many emissions you have or how many euas you have to contribute the challenge is really the complex process between owners, managers, and charterers. This happens based on the so-called charter parties between the owners and the charterers, and they differ ship by ship. Um, some charterers say they contribute or will provide EUAs, so carbon credits, to the owners upon request. And some can't do that. Maybe there are Asian charterers who don't have access to EUAs, which means they will provide cash or funds. Some will do this on a monthly basis, some on a quarterly basis. For some customers, you might prepayments. And all this is really, really complex. It looks easy at first glance. But if you think two or three or four or five months down the road with disputes, with disruptions, with discussions, with new charter parties coming in, it's very easy to lose oversight or to lose transparency in this. And if the owner loses transparency, he runs a complete risk of actually having to pay the EU without getting payment from the operator. And that's where we help. So we are stepping in to help them make sure that these processes can be managed in an efficient way and that they retain, I would call it 360 degree transparency throughout the whole process. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. And who is your main internal stakeholders? Are they the chartering managers? for the ship owner or the the voyage manager or the the owner how, how does it work yeah well picked I, typically it would be the chartering manager because the complexity as, as as we discussed sits in that relationship between the owner and the charterer to really make sure that you get in a consistent way the uas you request from the charterer so we typically propose that the chartering managers take care of this process okay and are you ever involved in a point where a charter manager is looking to fix a ship kind of live are you ever involved in those calculations in terms of, of the carbon impact or is it more kind of a methodical kind of planning sort of process well we our tools allow you to simulate the carbon costs so to say for certain voyages or periods right so that obviously is helpful when discussing um and we, on, on a more systematic matter, way, I would say, and we are being approached by our customers, but I think that is typically happening in the beginning of this new regulation because they are so complex. We are approached by many of our customers who simply ask for advice. Yeah. They are in discussions with the charterer. They have three options on how to do, uh, how, how to conclude the ETS clause and the charter party, and they come to us and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? How should I do this? Not sure that we always know the truth, to be honest, but we certainly have talked to lots of people. We are the market leaders in ETS management with more than 70 customers around. So we see a lot Yeah, um, what's going on. And obviously it's only been introduced uh, not that long ago. So so what has the kind of the shift been or the kind of, I guess, the feedback and the challenges since 
the since it was launched in the in the start of the year? It's been, I would say, from our perspective, extremely intense. Um, you know, shipping, Callum. I mean, there is a certain tendency with many to wait it out until the very last minute. So if we've been overwhelmed in January with customers kind of trying to come on board very last minute, and we continue to be overwhelmed now in February, heading towards March with customers who said they could do it themselves and then realize it's a bit too complex. So for us, it's been mayhem. But if you look at it from a customer perspective, and we keep hearing this question, is shipping prepared and how ready are they and all that, the whole environment we operate in is not prepared. I mean, shipping is not master of the universe. We operate within a certain regulatory and technical environment. And if you see that the last implementing acts by the EU were only published in December, that BIMCO was extremely late in proposing their charter party clauses and their shipment clauses, which should be the basis for shipments and for um, charter parties. If you then see that administering authorities were only allocated to shipping companies in January, so like 31 days after it actually started to be enforced, this regulation, and when you then try to open a union registry account to deposit your EUAs, you were told by the institutions that they were actually not ready for it yet and you couldn't open your account. So I would say that it is complex, this whole process landscape between owners and managers and operators has to be readjusted. But the real challenge is the completely unprepared environment around shipping. Um, it's tough enough for European managers and owners. It's, it's nearly impossible for those who are coming from further away. If you are a South American or an Asian owner, you don't sail to Europe a whole lot and suddenly you're faced with all this unpreparedness of the environment, it's really tough. Has your team internally changed more from a kind of a consultative sort of sale and, and, and kind of outreach to now a bit more transactional kind of, as you said, you mentioned maybe a year or so ago, it was more kind of educating about what's coming up and now it's here. It's like, okay, now it's right. Let's just fix things and let's get people on board. And would you say it's changed it or has it been a bit more of a natural kind of progression? Well, <laughs> it's changed in a natural way, I guess. I mean, it has been very sales and product demo type stuff we did last year. It moved then into a bit more consultative approaches. And I would say that currently there's a lot of bug fixing and problem solving out there. Give you an example. I said that emissions calculation and emissions assessment done by verifiers is an old thing. So there's nothing new to that. It's since around since MRV regime days. But ETS has established a few small differences. There's suddenly a definition of transshipment ports for container ships that aren't there in the MRV regime. Or there are definitions around so-called outermost regions and how they are being considered in the ETS regime. There's a difference between commercial voyages and MRV voyages. And many of the verifiers have not reflected these changes in their technical solutions. So a large chunk of what we are doing is sitting with customers and then going through the reports they are getting through our system from the verifiers or from the data uh, providers, trying to figure out what they actually mean and how they need to be corrected to make sense when they request EUAs for their charters. I hope that this will be resolved in the next two or three months, but um, currently we're extremely busy with that. 
Okay, and that leads me on nicely to the next topic. And, and I mean, when you're speaking to the ship owners or occasionally the ch charters as well, what sort of strategies are you recommending to them um, in, in terms of mon managing their data to, to, to be prepared, essentially? Yeah, there would be a big difference between charters and owners slash managers. I would say that in the um, last four, five, six, seven years, they need to have good quality data in a well-structured, um, accessible format sitting somewhere that can be shared has been long there, especially on the charter side who paid for the bunker and has been there largely for the performance management to reduce your bunker consumption. That is now changing, right? So with the ETS regime, suddenly there's a cost of not having your data act together to the owner or manager on his behalf as well. Um, so it's all about how do you make sure data comes from ship to shore? How do you assure the quality in that data? There is tons of rework always needed with noon reports. How do you make sure this happens fast and in an efficient way? You can't wait until your end now anymore. Where is the data stored? How do you provide access to this data via APIs to your business partners like OceanScore, like a verifier, etc.? That's reasonably new to many of these, especially smaller owners. And there needs to be a lot of focus on that. Um, we are partnering with quite a few of these data providers. So a layer, so to say, in parallel or below the verifiers, data providers, performance management solutions providers like StormGeo, like Secotech. Um, and they're doing a fantastic job, I would say, currently helping owners to get data quality and data processes up to speed. And if we're being asked, I strongly advise owners these days to try to do this with Excel anymore. I think the days of Excel and data management are long gone and for the owners latest since Gen versus year with ETS coming. So do you have also data, a data platform where people, you can kind of help people structure it in a certain way? Is that part, or is it more through recommendation of your partners and things? Um, I think there's a lot of very professional players, I mentioned too, um, in the market to do this uh, with added purposes. I'm not sure that data management should be seen as something standalone just for its own sake. But if you combine the good quality data management with a solid performance management solution and combine that then with a solid ETS management solution like we are providing, I think then it makes sense. So data management, data quality, not for its own purpose, but really to drive something that is relevant for the performance of a company. And, and if, a, if a ship owner or a ship management company isn't kind of adopting digital uh, latest technologies and things, what, I mean, what sort of challenges do you think they're, they're facing? Let's, leave, let's just focus on the ETS management, right? Um, so just a very simple example. You are the owner and manager of a vessel and you need to request EUAs from your charter, which means you're pulling data from the vessel, typical noon reports, event reports, you're analyzing these to extract the number of EUAs you need, and then you send an email to the charterer saying, hey, I need 352 EUAs from you. The charters will be typically pretty well set up, and they'll turn around and say, no, number's wrong. I think it's only 342. So if your data is not in good shape, you're going to run into a dispute. You're not going to get maybe potentially not getting any EUAs then. And you're going to have a hell lot of work and time spent on trying to figure out whether it's 342 or 352. So 
data quality assures that what you are doing towards the chartra happens in a seamless and um, straightforward way, in an efficient way. And it later secures when you're passing this data to the verifier to, to identify the number of EUAs to be surrendered to the EU. This actually matches with, with what you have gotten from the, um, from the chartra. And if you compare the cost of that, I mean, you can be off by just a few percent. If you have improper data management, the cost of that is always going to be higher than putting in place a solid data management facility once and for all. And again, I would say that this is where you get professional partners on board. Don't do it yourself anymore. That's, that's long gone. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. So if we look more at your team and, and your kind of, um, I guess, outlook in terms of the EU ETS kind of topic, I mean, it's very complex and certainly obviously it's new. So when you're hiring either for your team or maybe kind of any kind of business that's focusing in this area, do you think it's really important that people have former knowledge of this uh, area or do you think it can be kind of taught um, or are you kind of learning as you go along as kind of things evolve as well? Well, I mean, it depends on who you are as a company. If you were like, you know, a huge, huge organization, let's like say DNVGL where I used to work, right? Then it's fully okay to onboard people who have no knowledge of shipping and there's an infrastructure that to train them up and bring them up to speed over time. I mean, we are a small organization. We're like 25 men strong, men and women strong. Um, we don't have that luxury. So in my team, everyone has to have a shipping background. There's just no way around it. You know, I, I, I couldn't see a customer calling and asking a question about the charter party and the party on the on the and our person on our side would think this is something about a festive event with dancing. No, a charter party is a contract. Or if someone calls about bunker and you think it's a military building to protect someone, right? I think you need to understand the language. That's number one. And number two is shipping is complex. It takes time to understand the difference between time charter and voyage charter and spot, between charters, managers, owners, operators. What is the difference? What works? What doesn't work? And I mean, we are in the market since two years, two and a half years now. We're getting up to speed very fast. We're working with tons of customers day in and day out. And I believe that if you want to be in shipping, you better be shipping. So, yeah, we have everyone on our team, even down to the office manager, has a shipping background. Awesome. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to share about Ocean Score uh, in particular? How, how you, you, either your platform or, or how you serve your customers or, or anything else at all? I mean, I could do this like very quick um, sales pitch. Sure, yeah, okay. um, and I would basically say if you're a manager or an owner of vessels, and if you feel that ETS is complex, then just talk to us. Just, you know, reach out and check whether we can be adding value to you. We believe, and the fact that we are leading in the market by now shows that our customers see that as well, that we can actually make ETS management as simple as it can be given that it's a complex regulation, but we can really simplify the processes for you and we can de-risk it by making sure that you're constantly transparent around all the data flows, around the processes, about the EUA movements on account, off account and all the open positions. Talk to us. I mean, it's always an interesting exchange. There are customers where I say, nope, I don't think we add value to what you do because you're already well set up. But in more cases than not, it's going to be a deeper discussion. Yeah. Okay. And is it is your model mainly software as a service or is it more uh, consultative, kind of bespoke projects? How, how does it work? Purely software as a service. Okay. So we have a pure subscription model based annually per ship that sails Europe. 
the consulting is part of it. I mean, you can't have a customer and then tell them, I don't talk to you if you have a problem, right? So we will always consult our customers, but the business model is purely uh, software as a service. Okay, awesome. All right, well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show uh, and obviously sharing all your insights. I would like to ask one more question. Um, as far as obviously your, your role as a managing director, I like to try and always kind of pick one particular topic or role function per episode we talk about. So can you just give a quick overview of what your role is day to day as a managing director of, of the business and perhaps, I don't know, maybe how it differs from the a CEO or another sort of C-suite type of function? Well, I would say the difference between managing director and CEO is only um, the title. Uh, what we have in OceanScore, we have two MDs, yeah. so you can't have two CEOs, but basically that's the same. Um, what I'm doing day in, day out is largely taking care of customers. I love engaging with customers. I think we are in a really interesting industry and I haven't picked it by accident. Um, so I spend half of my day engaging with customers directly or indirectly. And most of the other half is spent with my team. Yeah. Because being available for them to answer questions, trying to help them, trying to coach them, trying to reach, help them reach new levels, um, bringing them together to exchange ideas, that's the other really fun half part of my job. Unfortunately, I don't have to do much with um, accounting and stuff like that. That's not really my hobby, so we have people <laughs> to do that. That's, that's my good the beauty of my role here. Yeah, I saw a recent, I think it was, I don't know if it was a Christmas photo or a, a recent photo of your team having a big lunch and everything and everyone looks pretty cheery and uh, looks like a nice group of, uh, I don't know if they're all developers or, or they were, but yeah, it looks like a really interesting team you've got there. That was last week. Yeah. I was in Poland. We have our development That's team cool. based in Poland. It's um, up to 12, 13 people now. Um, and they are a fantastic bunch. I mean, not only from their competence and their dedication, um, but they're just fun to be with. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoy sitting with them, you know, cracking problems, browsing ideas, um, and then having dinners and uh, one or the other beer with them as well. Great. Okay. And if anyone would like to reach out to you, obviously to learn more about Ocean School or, or yourself, what's, what's the best way for them to do so? I mean, we are very digital, but I'm kind of old school. So just give me a call. Um, and you could reach out via LinkedIn, via email, our homepage. Um, but certainly I will call back. So it's, I think shipping is still a people-to-people -people business. I like to take it personal and um, will be very fast to get back. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, really interesting. I, I know I've learned more about the UTS and, and obviously your, your business and what you're doing. So, um, yeah, really, really valuable. Um, great. Well, if that's it for now, we'll wrap things up and, uh, yeah, we'll catch up again soon. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure. You're very welcome.